0: in the chapel today and uh, especially to visit Beulah uh, this afternoon I send greetings also to the uh, residents and staff at Beulah. I can now visualize you having met you and uh, I met all the residents and I met Smokey, the luxury car. So if you go next Saturday to the open day you too can meet uh, the residents and Smokey, the luxury car. And uh, what a remarkable Story from both Beulah and Bethany they deserve our support they deserve our prayers and uh, I hope that that will come in new and fresh ways from you here at the chapel I meant to say to the ladies the, this afternoon I, I was listening to the radio and heard the story of the old lady who was in her 90s as many of the residents are at Beulah and she was being interviewed and was asked um, now that you're 90 have you got any worries or troubles you know are you happy with life and she said I no longer have any more worries or troubles ever since I got my son into an old people's home Um, Albert Einstein was making a journey railway journey and uh, had lost his ticket and when the ticket uh, collector came through um, Einstein was fumbling for his ticket and uh, the guard recognised him looked at Albert Einstein, he said, Dr. Einstein, he said, after all you've done for humanity, he said, uh, don't worry about your ticket. I know you're an honest man. And he went on collecting tickets and uh, when he came back up the carriage, by now he found Einstein on his knees under the seat looking for this ticket. So he tapped him on the back and Einstein got up. He said, Dr. Einstein, I said that I know who you are and you may have lost your ticket but it doesn't matter after all your service to humanity and Einstein looked at the ticket collector and he said young man I know who I am I'm hunting for my ticket because I don't know where I'm going (laughs) and I sense that after all that you heard from Ian just that little glimpse of statistics about life in this city to which I could add statistics about life in the United Kingdom and there's no need for me to tell the older ones here and the younger ones no doubt are studying these things that as Christians we are living in a rapidly changing world there has been what somebody has called the deforestation of the Christian memory, we know what it means to rid the Brazilian rainforest rainforest And deforestation of Christian memory means when we can no longer count on people knowing the basic story about Jesus. So you can advance in science and technology and you regress in why we're here and whose image we're made and what God has done in Jesus Christ to put the world right. That's a very dangerous situation to be in. And when we look at all these changes, whether they be social changes, that we can put into statistics. I want you to know this. It is no use us as the church railing at society, having a go at your city, wherever you may live and saying what a dreadful state this world is in. That is not an appropriate response for Christian people. Christian people, when they see changes happening around them, at the same time, hear a call from God. That's the proper Christian response. And 21 years ago, however... Bethany came into being and 48 years ago, whenever Bueller came into being, it was because people saw a need and heard a call. And the pessimism and the judgmentalism that looks out on a world that appears to be going to the dogs will not do. It's not gospel. It's not in the way of Jesus. And people will write on our gravestones they were a nice group of people but they missed the point. And if we're going to get the point, if we're going to know what direction we're going in, knowing who we are, knowing what direction we're going in, we need to hear God's call afresh regarding a very, very needy world. And I want to build what I want to say to you through God's word this evening from Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look at the whole chapter in, not detail, but broad outline. But I want to begin by looking at verse 13, because this is what it says. These are the words of Jesus Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, it's true to say it's going to be a lifetime learning to learn all that you have to learn about mercy, especially the mercy of God as he gives it to his people. Compassion. The compassion of Christ revealed to a needy world. That's a lifetime's learning. But we're going to begin the learning this evening. And Jesus is here quoting in Matthew 9.13 from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6 and I want you to notice what that original passage says it says it here I desire this is God speaking we should all sit up and take notice when we hear God desires something and God desires something in our worship He desires worship which is a faithful commitment to Him that's what we've done this evening we've as it were renewed our faith I need Sundays and so do you I need it like I need a shower every day. I need to be baptised afresh in the Holy Spirit and into an understanding of all that God is and who He is and what He is for us. God desires that worship moulds our character to be more like Jesus, corporately as well as individually. But most of all, this verse is about this. God desires in worship, worship which results in mercy ministries being acted out in a needy world. It is nothing to God if we simply offer him a good worship service this evening. Believe me, go through from Exodus to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, and you will find that that truth is there. Worship has to go somewhere. It isn't something we look back at the end of the day and say they were good worship services. Worship services, this is why Jesus says, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. True worship must be accompanied by merciful action. Now why did Jesus have to repeat these words? Is there anything so radical about it that he had to emphasise it? Well, because there was a mindset in the day of Jesus that the only valid way of doing things was the true tried and tested one laid down in what was called rules and regulations. If you didn't abide by the rules and regulations, then it wasn't of God. And as you go through chapter 9, we'll see examples of that. But the most serious thing of all, and hear this, was that when God spoke or did a new thing, the rule makers could not see or hear that new thing because the way they did something had become more important than their calling to be God's for people. And if all we're going to hang on to as we become God's merciful people is the way we do something because that is the way we do it because that is what the rules and regulations say then we might miss out in this needy missionary opportunity time of the new thing that God wants to do through a generation such as you are here this evening. So it's a key area whenever Jesus says, go and learn what this means, God desires mercy not sacrifice, we should sit up and take notice it's to do with what we're doing here now and what we're going to do Monday to Friday well here's the first thing we can start I think by observing in chapter 9 and that is that the focus of mercy is people that's in verses 1 to 8, this is one of my favourite stories It's one of the first ones I learnt when I was a child at school. In Mark it's a much more vivid story. You know the story of how there are four friends and they want to bring their friend to Jesus because they've done all they can for their friend. You can go so far in friendship but they knew that their friend had two needs that visiting, caring, loving, praying all that was not sufficient. He needed to be forgiven and he needed to be healed. So you know in Mark it doesn't say it here in Matthew but they brought their friends to Jesus, Jesus was in the house and in the end they had to open up a hole in the roof they were so desperate to get their friend to Jesus. And there's this wonderful uh, moment in Matthew where first there's the moment of forgiveness take heart son, your sins are sent away that's the literal meaning. I mean it is, it's a flight word It's as if this which had bogged down somebody and believe me, some of the stuff that affects people in Edinburgh tonight is to do with nothing else but sin. And you can throw as much money, ask Ian this. You can throw money, you can throw care, you can put people in a mansion but at the end of the day, if people's sins are not forgiven people are still seriously unwell. And this idea of sin sent away, it's a flight word it goes from here and it goes that way. As far as the east is from the west, so far has the power of sin. People being possessed by sin. People being helpless in sin. Jesus comes to this man and delivers him from what is his greatest need. His next greatest need is that resurrection moment of healing. Get up and go home. And the man rose up like Lazarus from his mattress. And he walked home forgiven and healed. It's a wonderful story. All this, there goes four friends according to Mark cared enough for a person they must have known by name now I don't want to take you right back into the Sunday school but sometimes I think that we need to understand if God's going to do new things through us then we do have to go back to basics it's been said that God calls us and invites us to come home like the prodigal son and then sends us out like the good Samaritan and the good Samaritan was noted in scripture as the one who showed mercy I think number one on my list in the opening part of chapter 9 if we're going to learn go away and learn what mercy means it has a care for people and if I can unpack that I think it knows people by name not just generally people God bless people but God bless that friend this friend of mine Fergal Keane, you know some of his work and some of his writings as a broadcaster, he wrote a book called Stranger's Eye in which he visited different parts of the United Kingdom, walked the streets of our cities and generally unburied and uncovered forgotten stories. Came across the story of the five teenagers who had murdered, brutally murdered, an 18-year-old schizophrenic girl. Came across the story of the three-month-old um, Uh, A nine-month-old child who had been crawling around at home and some heroin had been left on a low coffee table and the nine-month-old baby had swallowed the heroin. Came across a child um, whose mother was an alcoholic. When they discovered the child, they discovered that the the child had been wearing a plaster cast for probably ten months. The 65-year-old man who had died alone in his flat and nobody had recognised it and it had gone on for days upon days upon days and I think one of the things that we of all people as Christian people in company with many people in this city we need to take more seriously about naming people one of the things that happened this afternoon when I visited Beulah I was taken round and introduced to each resident by name when I was a child Um, I can remember we had a deacon in our church and he drove one of these British Rail delivery vans and I can recall if I happened to be in the street when he was delivering that he would name me. I can't tell you what that did to me. I thought, you know, this deacon in my church, he he knows my name. It's a very powerful thing. If I buy a big issue from one of the sellers if they haven't got their badge clearly I always ask them what their name is. The power of the name. Once you name somebody, that is not just a statistic, that suddenly becomes a very powerful force. God can use that. When you begin to pray naming people, people who might hassle you, people who might just be, you know, daily in touch with you. We have a market near to where I live, it's a Saturday market, and I went down a few months ago and Uh, bought some uh, groceries for the family and uh, the guy had he was a typical East Ender, he had all the patter and uh, I just chatted to him, my wife doesn't like me doing this because she says when I chat to these people it confuses them and they either end up, you know, charging us more than we should or I come home with more than I should stuff like that, but I like talking to people and I was asking this man about his life and he told me about his life and I won't bore you with those details. But if we're going to be serious about learning what mercy is, the focus of mercy is on people. And I like to think that these four friends began with a concern for somebody they knew by name. And that burden of concern wouldn't go away because it had gone down very deep, deep, deep into their being. I was a pastor in Torquay. We had a visit from uh, a visiting preacher. And uh, he asked at the end of the service, he said, I wonder if as an act of commitment I wonder whether you would stand for a factory for a street, a school, a hospital, a workplace and I have to say to you I was somewhere up here in the gallery and I thought well I better give a lead you know, pastors ought to give a lead so I stood and I stood for my road and we then prayed and it did become a serious moment of commitment for me I should think a good year to 18 months went by. And new neighbours had moved in. We had barely met them. And one Saturday night, about 10.30, there was a knock at the door. And you know what happens when there's a knock at the door on a Saturday night? You say, good, who's that? Who can that be? And we went to the door and it was our new neighbour across the road. And the woman said to me, she says, my husband's had a heart attack. The ambulance has taken him to hospital and I wondered whether you could drive me to the hospital. Over to the hospital, went into the intensive care unit and uh, he was conscious we went up to the, to the bedside and uh, uh, she stood one side I stood the other side and um, after a, a few moments of discovering, you know, who they were, I just said, I said look I'm a pastor, they knew that, I said I'd like to say a prayer at this moment have you ever had that moment in your life when you're praying and, and there are two parts to your brain there's a part where the prayer is happening and there's another part where there's a conversation taking place between you and God as I prayed I heard not only the prayer in one part of the brain I heard the other part saying 18 months ago you stood for your road and this is the beginning of the answer to that prayer I'm delighted to say that over a period of time not simply through my friendship but through the friendship of many people Ken and Hillary came to a fresh commitment in Jesus Christ were baptised in the waters of baptism and amongst other things they've done missionary service in Africa the focus of mercy is always people right now be specific allow the Holy Spirit to write on your heart people, names of people people you've given up on there must have been scores of people who flowed through this chapel through the years, where are they now? And resurrect within yourselves. Lord, give us a burden and a heart for people. These four friends did that and Jesus is asking us to learn what mercy means. Here's the second thing. The second thing you see in verses 9 to 13 and that is the breadth of mercy is endless. If the focus of mercy is people, then the breadth is without limit. This is the second story in Matthew 9. It's the calling of Matthew. Do you remember how Luke begins his gospel record? I mean he begins it with people we feel very comfortable with people like Mary and Joseph and uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Simeon and Anna they're very godly people there'd be people at home at a prayer meeting people at home in a Sunday evening worship service Matthew is not that kind of person Matthew would have made them feel very uncomfortable in the times of Jesus Matthew belonged to a despised class called tax collectors Uh, They would be on a par with police informers and sex workers today. People like Matthew had to really clean their act up before they could find their place among the people of God. And I think Matthew's testimony, if he was here this evening, would be this Jesus, when nobody else saw potential in me, Jesus did. When I couldn't find my way through all the rules and regulations of belonging to the religious group, Jesus broke out of all that. And as I was on the outside looking in, he came outside and he brought me in. He added me to his number. I think what's going to happen over these next 10 to 15 years, it's already happening, is increasingly we're going to be living and spending our lives among strangers. People who are not like us. I'm not just talking about the asylum and immigration issue. I'm talking about lifestyles. You can't have the deforestation of the Christian memory. You can't have suddenly the story disappearing and us somehow expecting that people out there will naturally adapt to people like us. It's not going to happen like that. And there are going to be many more Matthews and we're going to have to say to ourselves if the breadth of mercy is endless where, where is the boundary? Do we fix a boundary? Or do we say that the arms of love that encompass this world are as wide as that. We're not talking about universalism. We're not talking about, at the end, everybody gets in. We are talking about repentance and faith. But we're talking about narrow restriction, whereby the church says, well, I think our church is for for that kind of person. And somehow we find it difficult when it broadens out like that. I love it when I meet the breadth of Mercy in reality. I was at a barbecue in Middlesbrough. Southbank Middlesbrough is one of the most deprived uh, parts of the United Kingdom and uh, a summer barbecue, June evening and the pastor and his wife had put on in their back garden a barbecue and invited some of their new Christian friends to the barbecue. I got talking to this couple and over a period of half an hour I discovered that her story was that she had had a very uh, deprived childhood she was a child prostitute at the age of 13. She was a mother of five children, got up and engaged with this guy who was deeply involved in drugs. He had already done time in Durham jail for drug running. And in fact, the gang that he was with, he had become a Christian like she had. If he hadn't become a Christian, the gang that he was running with went down for a huge time something like 20 years. I noticed that uh, her body, summer evening, was, was covered in tattoos. Love and hate written across the fingers and fading tattoos elsewhere. She didn't tell me this, but much later after they had gone home, the pastor said how she knew that God had made her clean inside. And she'd been holding coffee mornings to raise money so that cosmetically these tattoos that belong to a former life could be removed. God cleaning her life up inside and outside. The breadth of mercy is endless. We sang the song this morning, The vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Got a newspaper cutting which I keep at home. I haven't got it with me this evening. Maxine Carr many other well known people who have been convicted of crimes and whenever I see a picture like that and I see what the press is saying about them talking about them going to hell and no second chance I always write at the foot of that the words of those him the vilest offender who truly believes that moment a pardon from Jesus receives. We can sing it, but we must also practice it because the breadth of mercy is endless. Look at verses 14 to 17 and you see here how the structures of mercy are flexible. I was a first year student in theological college and I was traveling in the United States and um, two friends, my friend and I, we were traveling and arrived in Texas and we had booked advance in advance, our accommodation. We arrived at a Greyhound station, bus station, and uh, were met by these uh, American friends, and we went across, the luggage was in the boot, we sat in their car, we were in the back, they were in the front. Before they started the engine, they turned round, and here were we expecting Texan hospitality for a, a week. They turned round and looked at me, and said, are you boys premillennial, pre-millennial dispensationists? Now I was only a first year student in college and I just about knew the words New Testament so words like premillennial dispensational at that point were not in my vocabulary but the scary thing was I felt that I needed to get this answer right because if I didn't get the answer right I wouldn't be enjoying hospitality in Texas. So I found myself saying are you premillennial dispensationalists? and they said we are and I said amen and that was great. The engine was started and that's how I came to enjoy good Texan hospitality for a week as you listen to the music of Matthew chapter 9 there's a sinister bass note which keeps sounding, I'm going to show you where it is and it's played by religious leaders who are opposed to the mercy ministry of Jesus and they want to criticise Jesus they want to, to say we want to be absolutely sure Jesus, that your doctrine is sound So in verse 3, they criticise Jesus on doctrinal grounds. They say it's blasphemous for you to forgive sin. In verse 14, they criticise him on constitutional grounds. They say, you're breaking all the rules on prayer and fasting. That's not the way we do it around here. And in verse 34, they criticise him on personal grounds. You must be in league with Satan nobody can be doing all these healing miracles that you're doing except by Satan's power now all these criticisms are a reaction to a major fact which you need to know about that in the person of Jesus and this is what these verses 14 uh, following are about the new wine of the kingdom has arrived a little lesson here for those who don't already know this nowadays we have wine shops which store wines in bottles in the day of Jesus, what you would do is you would skin a young goat. You would throw away the bones and you would stitch a wine skin together in such a way and you would pour wine into that. Why? Well, because new wine wants to expand. And for, for it to expand, it has to have a flexible skin. So the order of the day, as Jesus says here, is new wine into new skins. If you break that rule, if you use any old skin, especially an old skin which has lost its elasticity, if you put new wine into that old skin, then what will happen is the skin will burst because it can't expand and you'll lose the skin and you'll lose the wine. Now let those who have ears to hear, hear, says Jesus. I have brought the new wine of the kingdom. And the new wine of the kingdom needs structures which are flexible to take that new wine. If you try and put the new wine of the kingdom which has come with Jesus into those old inflexible wine skins, the skins will burst and the wine will be lost. Are you with me? Remember what I said about how the needs of the world are not for us to be moaning about the state of the world, they constitute a call from God a new call from God. That happened 48 years ago with Beulah, it happened 21 years ago with Bethany. And the same God is speaking. So new ventures, especially with a church with this capacity here, should always be on the agenda. And the question should be, Lord, are the wineskins that we have got, are they sufficiently flexible for the new wine that you are creating Sunday by Sunday? The new wines of Mercy Ministries, the new wines of mercy ministries that are truly going to meet the needs of the people in this city of Edinburgh. Now that's not for me to say my task as the messenger, the tramp preacher is to come in and ask you as Bible people to come and say before the Lord are the structures of mercy that we are in touch with are they flexible enough in order that that new wine of the kingdom can be contained. The whole of the story of the Acts of the Apostles is about that constant openness to new wineskins being created. Acts chapter 6, it's the whole question of elders and deacons. Acts chapter 10, one person gets saved, and it's an unusual person. And Peter's not sure whether it breaks all the rules and regulations until God says it's okay. So the conversion of someone who didn't know Christ results in the conversion of a disciple who was the preacher on the day of Pentecost and he goes on into Acts 15 and there's the conversion of a whole church meeting and without that conversion friends we as Gentile Christians would not be here this evening there had to be a major change and it had to be fought hard for in Galatians you see Paul struggling for that so I beg of you make the structures of mercy flexible don't be rigid And the next time somebody says, well, we've never done that before or we don't do that around here, you have to say, if God's giving us new wine, if there's a call coming, which is to do with mercy ministries to this needy city, then let's be as flexible as Jesus was asking his generation to be. And then the fourth thing you see in verses 35 to 38, skipping over some verses, the secret of mercy is... Compassion. That great verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And throughout this latter part of the chapter, in verse 18, he raises for life a dead girl. The woman whose bleeding body could not be healed, verse 20. Sight given to two blind men, 27, restoring the speech of a dumb man who was also demon possessed. I mean, if that isn't me, Summed up in verse 35 Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching, preaching the good news of the kingdom healing every kind of disease and sickness Now we we need to see what this verse says in verse 36 I think it's when Jesus says go away and learn about mercy when Jesus saw the crowds he had compassion on them and what did he see? He saw them as helpless people, like sheep without a shepherd. The gift of compassion enables you to see differently. When I read the history books, when I see the people of God who've been raised up to do great things, sometime when you've got time, go on the website and look up the story of Dr. Bernardo. Dr. Bernardo, whose heart was deeply touched by children just sleeping on the streets of London lots of people saw what he saw it's that God's compassion enabled him to see things differently, oh God breathe breathe within a congregation like this so that however else people see Edinburgh Christian people see Edinburgh differently they would see it with new eyes that's the gift of compassion on one day in a newspaper last autumn, three nationally famous names appeared at one and the same time. Frank Bruno, George Best, Michael Barrymore. They were all men who for different reasons had messed their lives up and in some cases messed the lives of others up. And I have to say my default position, like most of you very often, is sometimes judgmental. And I know that my default position needs to have that gift of compassion which Jesus had Jesus was moved to his core with compassion why? because he didn't see the mistakes he saw people as sheep worn out and exhausted neglected by those who should have cared for them and the second picture you see there is compassion sees people as a harvest field sheep without a shepherd and and a harvest field just waiting to be harvested why does Jesus say, in the last verse of the passage, ask the Lord of the harvest to send labourers into his harvest field? I think he does it for two reasons. One, to remind us that he's the farmer and we're the labourers. If you think you can go out and take Edinburgh on or wherever your little fear of service is, think again. Let me tell you, some of you who go to school, college, factory, wherever you are tomorrow, work. When you arrive there tomorrow, can you see the welcome map that God has put out that says, welcome? It's a heresy that you take God there. God's already there. He's at work. He's more at work in the lives of those around us than we can ever begin to dream or imagine. There will be people tonight who you know, but you don't know this about them, who will fall down by their bedside and talk to a God they don't know and say, do something. And compassion opens the eyes and the ears of us to realise what God is doing in the hearts and lives of people. I could tell you endless stories of people who shared with me of amazing ways of how God has spoken to them and how it was a discerning Christian whose heart was moved with compassion that was the next stage on the journey. It's exciting to think that God's going to use us in that way this week. And compassion has to be a gift. The great words of Graham Kendrick's song, God of a friend, God of the poor, friend of the weak give us compassion we pray melt our cold hearts let tears fall like rain come change our hearts from a spark to a flame I've been a a Christian pastor for nearly 40 years and I want to share something with you it's possible to serve God without the gift of compassion it's possible to work for the church without compassion It's possible to be a faithful and considerate Christian without compassion, believe me. And the finishing school that for some of you will be this evening is, Lord, I've done all these things for you but my heart has not been moved as Jesus' heart has been with compassion. It can have a transforming effect on your life, on the life of those around you. Lord, give us that compassion that we need You see, the gift of compassion does some wonderful things. It gives the capacity to endure, to hope all things, to bear all things, to believe all things, to endure all things. 1 Corinthians 13. It's the secret of mercy. And you know how some of you had to come many years ago and ask for the gift of salvation. You simply had to come and say, Lord, I want to be your child please forgive my sins I cast myself upon your mercy you come back to the cross where you first met Jesus and you ask for the gift of compassion can have a transforming effect on your life the life of this church the life of a city so on a day when Jesus says I desire mercy go and learn what this means I desire mercy more than a sacrifice, make the focus of your ministry, people name them keep that breadth of mercy endless widen the arms of God, widen your own heart to include those that you've excluded make sure the structures of mercy are flexible and constantly ask the Lord to replenish your heart with compassion give us compassion we need it Have you been blessed by the writings of Philip Yancey? Philip Yancey, uh, one of my favourite writers and he's a member of an inner city church in America, in the city where he lives. In one of his books he tells the story of Adolphus who was a Vietnam war veteran. He'd been brain damaged and physically needed healing and was only at his best when he was taking medication. But Adolphus somehow found his way to the church where Philip Yancey worships and in time they discovered he had no family no job, no stability and he, he was a very lively character, you talk about the, the breadth of mercy when he was on medication he was interesting, when he didn't take his medication it was really lively, he wouldn't bother to walk down the aisle, he would vault down the pews to the uh, front of the church Yancey says how he said in his writings here how he blessed his church because they never gave up they gave Adolphus the second the third, the fourth chance and so on they were a liturgical church and in some of their prayers they would have responses so somebody would pray and they would say Lord hear our prayer and they would reply let our cry come unto thee and it would be open prayer it was an intimate inner city congregation and Adolphus of course found this a wonderful opportunity to enter into proceedings so he would offer his own prayers way off the wall he would pray prayers like Lord thank you for Whitney Houston and her magnificent body and the cry would come Lord hear our prayer and let our cry come back to thee but he said what helped this church cope with Adolphus the church that had experienced God's mercy freely gave that out of the bucket load of mercy that we have received all God is asking is that day by day we pass a symbolful on that's all it is freely, freely you have received, freely give it's a secret of compassion it's a secret of mercy and it means that when the worship is over the service is about to begin, are you ready for that? Let me pray for you. I don't know where God's going to take you this week. But let's do some serious business with with God in prayer. This has been one word to a lot of people, but it's been God's specific word to you, and you know that. And for some of you, all God is asking is for a fresh commitment to the same position. Some of you fear going back into that situation tomorrow and you've just worn yourself out. You've grown weary in well-doing. And God wants you to sit there right now this evening and say, ask me for the gift of compassion. And I'll give it to you. Ask the Lord to give you fresh eyes for old and tired faces. Caseloads that fill filing cabinets and you just don't know where you're going to begin again ask the Lord this is his work some of you at college I, I could tell you lots of stories about people who nearly gave up on fellow students but the Lord just banded them together and said give us compassion to this person what they do it's in the power of Satan and not in the power of Jesus Lord, give us a fresh understanding of some of these people who are so distraught give us mercy, we pray mercy in our hearts you've shown us mercy help us to pass that mercy on for a loved one in the family breaking a family apart we can't stop the anger rising within us and God somehow wants to just quell that anger and pour his compassion in give us new eyes, we pray for family members oh, thank you for using the ministry of Beulah and for Bethany and is it possible Lord that in days like this you might just raise up people with a new vision new wine structures to accommodate the new wine that you're going to produce hear our prayer We you're ready and willing people we want to serve you in as many ways as possible in the power of the Spirit do it we pray through us this week in Jesus' strong name